We're going to get into the message this morning. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 15. So I encourage you, uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn uh, to John 15. That's where we're going to be at. Um, it will not be on the screen uh, this, uh, this morning. Uh, so you actually have to open your Bibles or the Bible app to be able to read along with us. Um, but as I was thinking about this, when we've come to uh, the I Am where Jesus says, I am the true Vine, And I was thinking about that uh, vine, and, and, and I did a lot of research on vineyards, and, and we're going to talk about some of the largest vineyards and, and what they look like. But uh, growing up, uh, my grandma, she had a vine that grew on her back fence. And uh, they, were the, they weren't grapes that you would buy if you went to the store. Uh, they, they, they had the seeds in them. You had to be careful. But uh, I remember growing up, we'd be playing out. We would jump out of the pool and we would go back and we would pick some of those grapes. Um, we would, uh, I, I would be mowing the grass and uh, it would be a hot day. I would stop and I would just fill myself full of those grapes. I also enjoyed throwing them at my sisters as well. It was just fun. Um, but in uh, all of that, um, as, as my grandma started to get a little bit older, um, she, it fell into disrepair. And slowly it went from having um, all kinds of grapes, just being loaded with grapes, to the grapes growing a little bit smaller, to eventually uh, I remember that there was just no longer any grapes that were growing um, on that grape vine. Now, in contrast to uh, my grandma's grapevine that she had, uh, the largest grapevine in the world right now is over 240 years old. Uh, it's located in England, and it's simply called the Great Vine. Now, the vine grows in a greenhouse, and a man and his wife, uh, they, they service and they take care of uh, this old grapevine. And they have the responsibility of caring for it. Uh, this competent and caring people, uh, couple, uh, they do everything to keep the vine alive. That way that it will continue to do what a grapevine is supposed to do, and that is to produce fruit. Amazingly, this one vine every year yields between five and seven hundred bushels of grapes. So let's look at John chapter 15. We're going to read verses 1 through 5. Uh, again, I'm, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. So if you're reading the NIV or the uh, New Living Translation, you're like, well, what's the difference here? Uh, we're reading out of the English Standard Version. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit... He prunes that it may bear fruit, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now last week, uh, we drilled in on John chapter 14. Jesus declared that he is the only way. There was only one way to the Father, and it was through him. 
The focus last week was on salvation. This week we're going to talk about sanctification. We learned about coming to faith last week and now we're going to be challenged of how to be fruitful. How do we continually be fruitful in our lives? We're moving from knowing Christ to growing in Christ. Here's the big idea of today. If we are faithful, God will make us fruitful. Now when Jesus says that he is the true vine, he is employing an image that is very familiar to his followers. I absolutely love what Jesus does. When he is talking to the people, when he is sharing stories with them, when he is giving them a a parable to, to, to help them bring all of this together, he used things that was very, very familiar to them. When he was talking to fishermen, He talked about fish and catching fish and what that looked like. When he was talking to farmers and the rural people, he spoke to them in such a way. I love his illustrative teachings. He talks about water, seeds, soil, wheat, fig trees, flowers, birds. You see, grapes and grapes vines were very, very familiar during this time. Wherever you went within Israel, um, except for at the Dead Sea, you would find grapes. You would find grape vines. In fact, the grape vine was the emblem of Israel. You would, you could actually say, as the bald eagle is to the United States of America, the grape vine was to that of Israel. Grapes were on coins during the period between Malachi and Matthew. At the time of Jesus, a golden vine hung over the entrance to the temple. You see, in our culture, it would be as if Jesus were walking through a soybean field or he was walking through a cornfield and he was telling us a parable of the way in which these types of plants were to grow and produce their fruits. The image of the vine and its fruit has a far deeper spiritual symbolism as well. You see, the grape vine represented Israel's fruitfulness. It was Israel's job to do God's work here on earth. In Psalm chapter 80, starting in verse 8, we read, You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. Unfortunately, his people neglected to keep the vine nourished. And as a result, they ended up going wild and losing all of their fruit. If you jump down to verses 12 through 13, we read, Why then have you broken down its walls, so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it, and all that move in the field feed on it. God has always had great expectations for us. So I had to at least get something in there this week. You see, he, sold, he, sold out on, he is sold out on fruitfulness. And he actually breaks out into sad song in Isaiah uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Instead of producing sweet grapes, his people were offering him a sour substitution. Let's read. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it and cleared it cleared out of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield 
grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done for it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? Now, if we look at our text and we break down our text, uh, I, I went over this last week. We, we've come to that final week of, of Jesus' life over the course of the next several weeks. Next week is, is going to be Palm Sunday, and as we prepare for that and then heading into Easter, in John chapter 12, uh, verse 13, Jesus has his triumphal entry. He enters into Jerusalem, and it says, They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. And in the midst of all of this excitement, Jesus drops an absolute bombshell to all of his followers, including those 12 that were closest to him. And he says, hey, I'm going to die. And he gathers his disciples in the upper room in a quiet place and he begins to share with them everything that's going to happen. He shares that last supper. Lamb served for the Passover meal. Why? Because he is the Lamb of God. And in that room, bread is broken. Why? Because he is the bread of life. Fruit of the vine is consumed. Why? As we're reading here this morning, he is the true vine. He then provides uh, some comfort to those distraught disciples as we read about and we talked about in, in John chapter 14. He says, let your hearts, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God Believe also in me. And later in the the chapter, if if we keep reading in in John chapter 14, he says, hey, I'm going away, but when I go away, I'm going to provide a comforter. I'm going to provide the Holy Spirit that's going to come and live inside of you, and, and, and you're going to make it through this. He's going to be an encourager. He's going to be a teacher. He's going to be that comforter that you truly need. And at the very last verse of John chapter 14, we read, rise, let us go from here. So now Jesus has decided it's time to leave that upper room, and it's time to go towards the Garden of Gethsemane. And so he's going to leave Jerusalem, he's going to go down into the valley, and as he comes up the other side of that mount that was over uh, where the Garden of Gethsemane was, there were, there were going to be vines, there were going to be plenty of vineyards, and there was also going to be um, plenty of olives as well. And it's likely that while they were traveling over to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus stopped and he held a branch that was full of grapes. And that's when he looked at them and he says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. This is absolutely a remarkable revelation and quite a contrast as the scene changes. Just a few days earlier, there were palm branches being waved, Hosanna, Hosanna, and everybody was going wild, but now it's quiet. 
It's at night. And this is where he tells his disciples that he is the true vine. So wonderful to see what's happening here. So let's go through the characters that we have in the vineyard. There's three characters as we look at this. The first one is Jesus is the true vine. Uh, The word vine literally means root or trunk. It's the part that comes out of the ground and is often not much to look at. When you would to look down uh, at the very vine, at at the base uh, that is coming out of the ground, it wasn't all that fantastic. It wasn't like you looked at this beautiful tree that was growing and then out came all of these branches. It really was just a vine. And and when we see a vine growing, it's not something that we go, that's pretty. We want to see what comes off of it. Well, we go back to Isaiah chapter 53 verse 2 and it really brings true what jesus is saying here for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him you see in contrast to faithless and fruitless israel jesus is the fulfillment of all that they were not We could translate it this way, I myself am the vine, the real one. The word true means genuine and real. You see, this claim of Jesus is the manifestation of his Messiahship. I am from God. I am God. That's what he's truly saying here. So Jesus is the true vine. Secondly, the Father is the farmer the the word vine dresser it literally means one who tills you see the gardener's primary task is to grow the grapes well in order to grow the grapes a lot has to be done for this to happen the ground must be cultivated it must be fertilized he has to make sure that there's no pests that are around weeds must be pulled the roots must receive water the vine must be cared for the grapes must be cleaned and pruning must take place you see a vine needs a gardener in order for it to produce the best grapes possible a vineyard is planted for a different purpose than a flower garden now i know many of you are are chomping at the bit and and we've already seen the daffodils come up uh, all of our tulips are up across the the front uh, of the house and they're absolutely beautiful but for those all you have to do is just kind of make sure that the weeds are out from around them the dandelions they come up on their own the daffodils they come up on their own uh, the, the tulips they come up on their own and, and they're just easily taken care of there's there's no fruit that comes off of them we don't eat them they're just there to look pretty but when it comes to a vineyard there's a point behind having the vineyard it's not just for it to look pretty as we just talked about it's not really that much to look at but it's about the fruit that it's going to produce the goal is not the flowers but the fruit Last week, and I know I'm, I'm probably going to get in trouble for this, um, but uh, last week we decided that we were going to take a drive up and, and look at all of the cherry blossoms up in D.C. Now, we had social distancing because we didn't go during the weekend when everybody was there and they kind of had to disperse the crowd. When we went on Thursday morning, there was no one there. I mean, we were social distancing and keeping in groups of 10 or less was very simple. 
Uh, my, my daughter uh, had never been up there, so we took the drive up there and we saw um, just all of these beautiful cherry blossoms, but we decided to get out and start walking because there was no other. We actually parked, we found our first parking spot without traveling around the loop trying to find a spot uh, right at the Lincoln Memorial. And we were able to get out and we walked up to it. There was no one in it. And then we walked over to the Vietnam Memorial, and then we walked to the White House, and then we went by the Washington Monument. We went by World War II, we went by um, the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial, absolutely beautiful. We went to the Tidal Basin, no one's there. And we see these beautiful flowers on these trees. The problem is, is if you're talking about a cherry tree, I don't want the flower. I want to eat the cherries. I have two beautiful cherry trees out in my front yard. And they produce beautiful flowers and all kinds of pollen. But I don't get to eat any of the fruit because it doesn't produce any fruit. But the vineyard, it's different. It's all about the grapes. And that is what the Father is supposed to do. To till it and to plant it. And then we have the branches. We are the branches. Our job is actually pretty simple. If we're faithful, God does the work. God is the one that makes us fruitful. And the only way for that to happen is if we stay tenaciously and faithfully connected to the foundation of the trunk. So let's take a walk through the vineyard. He actually breaks it down into four different aspects. The first one is does not bear any fruit. There's no fruit at all. Then there's um, bear fruit. It's, it's meager fruit. And then there's more fruit. And then in verse 5, he says it bears much fruit. Here's the principle. God the gardener loves us so much and he is so committed to displaying his glory that he actually cultivates our lives to move us from no fruit to meager fruit to better fruit to much fruit. Which area do you fall in right now? No fruit? Meager, just, just a little bit of fruit, more fruit, or bearing much fruit. Where would you classify your life right now? Here's the good news. More is always possible. Because you and I were created for this very purpose. Matthew chapter 7 verse 20 says that we are to be bearing much fruit. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits, Jesus said. So let's break down these four fruits. The first one is is not much or, or no fruit whatsoever. Now you may say, well, I, I, I've been a part of the church all of my life. But is your life actually producing fruit at all? Are you producing any fruit? Well, but my parents are Christians, so that must make me a Christian, right? Not necessarily. As we talked about last week, Jesus says that he is the only way. And unless you accept 
not your parents, not your spouse, not your friends. You must make that choice to accept Jesus. So are you in the no fruit category? What about these other three areas? Let's break these three areas down. The first one is prepare for pruning. If we want to produce fruit, whether it's just a little bit, whether it's fruit or much fruit, we need to prepare for pruning. Notice the last part of verse 2. It says, every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You see, pruning is done so that the meager amount of fruit that we are are giving off can bear more fruit. Now, new shoots or sucker shoots come off. And and when they come off, we need to make sure that we're cutting them off. Because, you know, when you look at a a, a vine and and you see everything starting to grow out, and and you see all of these new shoots that are coming off, it's like, oh, great, it's going to produce even more. The problem is, is that instead of actually producing more fruit, if it's coming off of that main vine, it can actually pull life out of that main vine. So we need to make sure that we are pruning. You know, they say that the reason that most vineyard growers fail early on, the reason that they fail is because they don't prune enough. Good pruning creates a strong root system It improves the health of the vine. And most importantly, it increases the yield. I watched a video this week about a vineyard in California that's over 30 acres. And I learned that for 13,000 vines, it takes 500 man hours. 500 man hours to prune that area. The wife of the gardener of the grapevine that's in England that I mentioned at the very beginning, she spends about three months a year scraping branches with a knife. She does this in order to remove the the flakes of, of bark. She makes sure that she's constantly cutting back to make sure that it removes the parasites that grow. You see, pruning must take place for the grapes to grow. Dead wood must be ruthlessly removed, and live wood must be cut back drastically. I've seen this even at my own house. We have this beautiful uh, butterfly uh, bush right beside the house. And and I noticed um, last year it just didn't produce that much. And so earlier this spring, it was, it was several weeks ago, I came home to my mother-in-law outside pruning it way back. And, and as, she's been, as she was pruning it back and bringing it way down in size, I'm looking at it going, I don't know if this thing's going to last or not. I don't know if it's going to make it, but we've started to see life coming from this beautiful bush. And that is what we need to make sure that we are doing as well. So let's go back to the purpose of the vineyard. The goal is what? To grow grapes. Not lush leaves or creative colors. Everything else must be sacrificed for the sake of the harvest. 
Are you being pruned right now? I want you to think about that. Do you need to be pruned right now? And I know some of you are going, well, being pruned, I've seen the way that pruning works, and it's really not fun. It's not really a good thing. I mean, you're cutting things out. You're, Travis, you just talked about being scraped. I mean, I don't know about you, but that's not something that I really want to have done in my life. But what we need to understand is that God does not prune indiscriminately. He knows what he's doing. He, for, he follows a precise plan that we must make sure that we are following as well. You see, since he's working to make us more like Christ, he only removes what is necessary and he avoids unnecessary injury. There's also pruning. It does involve pain. The father's pruning knife is extremely sharp. It's not designed to ultimately damage or destroy us, but to bring new life and new fruit in our lives. He uses all sorts of unpleasant things to prune us. Circumstances, failures, ruptured relationships, illness, trials. He does all of this so that we can bear more fruit. I think about the way that we're having to meet right now because of this pandemic, because of this virus that I know that we're going to overcome. I know that God has us, that he is in control. We may not see the plan. We may not know why it's happening, but we know that he is in control. And I've said many times that God can bring good out of bad situations. God can bring amazing things out of hurtful things that happen. And this is one of those avenues. I know that many of you are are sharing this on Facebook. I know that many of you um, are are starting watch parties. And and you're sitting in your own home and you're able just to click on a button and say, hey, come and join me. You may not be ready to say, hey, come sit beside me in church. But you have said, hey, come join me. And if you're watching because a friend has shared this with you, welcome. I'm so glad that you're with us. I'm so glad that you are worshiping and and sharing in this time that we have. Because God takes bad situations, hurtful things that are happening, and he brings greatness and more fruit out of it. And we know that in all, all in all, we will be able to meet back again. But we're going to do it being smart and making decisions that will not harm our brothers and sisters in Christ. Pruning involves pain. Pruning can also last a long time. You know, most of us are like, well, snip, it's over, done with, no more pain, now I can move on. And that's the way that we all want it, right? I mean, none of us want lingering pain. Uh, As many of you know, I I deal with uh, a pretty severe back pain uh, and nerve damage. I don't want to deal with it. And some people say, well, Travis, it's just because you're getting old. And that might be the case a little bit, but there's certain pain that you just don't want to deal with for long periods of time. But... This pruning can last a long time. You see, the longer a grapevine is alive, the more pruning that is needed. 
some of us who are older in the faith may need a little bit more pruning than we think as well. We've allowed certain things to kind of get out of control and out of hand. Is God pruning you right now? If so, I want you to know that ultimately your pain is for His glory. And it will be greater for you as well. David realized this when he wrote in Psalm 119 verses 67 and 71. He says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I obey your word. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. Do you want to be more fruitful than you are right now? The only way for this to happen is to go under the knife. The second thing that we need to understand is that we need to deal with discipline. Look at verse 3. Already you are cleaned because of the word that I have spoken to you. Now in the national natural course of time, a branch will grow rapidly, but it will not necessarily go where it's supposed to go. If left on its own, eventually the, the, the branch that's coming out of the vine, it's just going to head right into the ground. And then it gets caught in the mud and the muck, and, and then it can't produce anything because it's went into the ground. Well, again, this is where that farmer comes along, that vine dresser, our father, comes along and gently lifts us up because if he just ripped it out of the ground, it's going to be useless anyways. Again, God doesn't do that to us. He gently pulls us out of the ground and he places us into the trellis. He cleans us off to where we can produce the fruit that we have been called to do. Are you playing in the mud of sin right now? Are you allowing your heavenly father, the gardener, to clean you off and pick you up and put you where you need to be? You see, sometimes he sends discipline in order to get our attention. These painful measures are designed to bring us to repentance so that we can get back to the business of bearing fruit. Deal with the discipline that God may be sending your way right now. The gardener wants to correct you. He wants to redirect you. I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. We read there, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but rather it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The gardener has plans for you. And his actions are intended to move you towards a place that he wants you. Sometimes he disturbs our slumber. Sometimes he shocks us so that we can grow. He also uses the Bible to get our attention. Look at Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. This is in the New Living Translation. We read there, for the, for the word of God is full of living power. It is sharper than the sharpest knife, cutting deep into our innermost thoughts and desires. It exposes us for what we really are. You may wonder, well, what's the difference between discipline and pruning? While they both hurt, they both intend to bring good discipline primarily comes as a result of sin, while pruning deals with the problem of self. 
Pruning is the problem that we're growing into areas that we probably shouldn't. Cutting out certain things that we need to deal with on our own. Discipline is when it's caused by sin. You don't have to stay where you are right now. You can fast forward to fruitfulness. You can run to Him. Don't run away. Run towards the Father. God's discipline is always intended to be redemptive and restorative. Always remember that. Sometimes when when pain comes our way, when discipline comes our way, I know when my kids, I discipline the three of them, or even my granddaughter, I discipline them, and they don't like it. I remember as a kid, I remember not too long ago, as an adult, getting corrected by my mom or my grandparents. I didn't like it. And most of the time, I want to run away from it. My daughter, she's 13, and everything's happening in her life and she gets angry and she gets mad and she stomps off i don't like this you probably lost me out of the camera i'm sorry she doesn't like it when when discipline comes her way but eventually she understands why we did it or maybe one day she'll understand why we tell her to clean her room Jaden, you should be cleaning your room but all in all discipline is supposed to be bringing us closer. No, she doesn't like listening to me. It's okay. And then lastly, resolutely remain in Christ. Resolutely remain in Christ. We come to verses 4 and 5. We see the first command in the passage. Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me... You can do nothing. If you want your basket of fruit to be completely full and overflowing, to be producing more fruit, much fruit, then you need to abide in Christ. This is a call to vigilance. We must stay closely connected to Christ in all times this word abide it means to stay to dwell or remain to settle in for the long term the word abide is actually used 11 times right here in john chapter 15 and 40 times in the gospel of john you see jesus is really trying to bring home the point John wants to drive home the point that we are to remain long-term in Jesus, to abide in Him, to remain, to settle in for the long-term. In John 15, verse 8, we read, For this, my, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. 
listen. Apart from Christ, you will not be able to grow fruit. You will not be able to remain in Him. For apart from me, you can do nothing, Jesus says. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Everything that we have comes from God. And we want to remember that. And this morning, as we have been looking last week and this week and over the course of the next two weeks, we're really going to be focusing in on who Jesus is. This whole series is all about the I am's of Jesus. But as we prepare for the time of, of Easter, really remembering his death, burial, and most importantly, his resurrection, we remember why we take communion. It's all about remembering. It's all about focusing in on who Jesus is is so I hope right now that you have your bread and you have your juice and I'm going to pray for us in just a second and then when you're ready Karen's going to continue playing behind us as she always does and when you're prepared you can take of the bread you can take of that juice and I want you to be reminded who Jesus is what he has done for you see Jesus gave up his life on the cross for you and if you're watching this and you're like I have no clue what communion is you see in the death burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ on that Easter weekend we take the bread that reminds us that Jesus was a real human being. He came and he lived just like us. He went through everything that we go through. He understands what it means to be sick and tired, to be hungry, to be thirsty, to be angry, to be sad. He understands pain understands our pain the blood reminds us that he is completely perfect he went through his whole life without sin and he became our sacrifice he died so that we could live and so we take of the bread and the juice to remember exactly what Christ did for us let's pray Gracious Father, we thank you so very much. We thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. We know that you are the Father. We know that you are the farmer. You are the one that prunes us. You are the one that guides us. You are the one that allowed your Son to come and be our sacrifice. And so, Father, as we partake of these emblems, whatever they are, we are reminded of what you did for us.
we're reminded of what Jesus sacrificed. He went through all of the physical pain of of being tortured, of being beaten, of being flogged, of being nailed to the cross. But worst of all, He took on our sin and was separated from you because you could not be a part of that sin. And so spiritually, He was separated from you. But Father, I thank You that death couldn't hold Him. I thank You that that Satan couldn't hold Him, that, that, that the chains of death could not hold Him, that He arose from the grave on that third day, on Easter morning. And so Father, I thank You for those gifts. We pray this in Your Son's name. everything to a conclusion here this morning I want to remind you that we can do nothing apart from him all our attempts to produce Christian character will be fruitless fruitless and frustrating apart from cultivating a close relationship with the vine we can do nothing you been drifting spiritually it's time to come back are you neglecting the spiritual disciplines it's time to come back 
a branch disengaged from the vine, it will dry up. It will decay. The rest of the band's going to come up and uh, we're going to prepare to sing one last song. James chapter 4 verse 8 says, Come near to God and He will come near to you. The result of spiritual fruitlessness is that God, fruitfulness is that God will be glorified. Seek Him. Allow Him to lead. And when you seek Him in worship as we're doing right now, if you allow Him to lead in your life, He will lead you to others that you will be able to share the gospel message with. And there's no greater time than when we need to be sharing the message than right now. It's time to ask Christ to take our lives. Because apart from Him, we are nothing. So if you need to make a decision for Him, if you need to say that, I believe that Jesus is the way, He is the truth, and that He is the life, and, and only He is the one that can save me, if you need to make that decision right now, you can put it in the comments, you can email me, I will contact you, we'll get together somehow, some way. Whether it's just via FaceTime or Zoom, whatever it is, we, we can find a way to connect. And we can talk about that. Maybe it is that there is sin in your life and you need it cut out. It's time for some discipline. It's time for some pruning to get rid of self. And you're trying to figure out exactly what that means. Why is God allowing you to go through this? I want you to email me. I want you to call me. I want you to comment. Send me a, a private message right now on Facebook. I'd love to find a way to connect with you, to help guide you during this time. There's a lot of fear going on right now. A lot of, of people are, are, are wondering a lot of questions. Questions like, is this the end? Is this the book of Revelation playing out? I don't know, but God does. Why is God allowing this to happen? I'm not for sure, but I know that He's in control and He's going to bring something really, really good out of it. So if you need to talk, if you need to, to someone to pray for you, to pray with you, I want you to reach out to me. Reach out to one of the staff. Reach out to one of the elders. We, will, we would love to be there for you, to help you however we possibly can. Whatever decision you have to make, make it as we continue our worship.